wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. While you're listening to this episode, take a few moments to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And please share this and other episodes with others. You know, we hear a lot about people deconstructing their faith, but today's guest deconstructed their atheist beliefs. In just a moment, we'll hear what happened when she started taking a serious look at the things that she had held to be true. Wendy Cunningham is all about gaining perspective and looking more deeply at not only the ideas and beliefs that we hold, but where those ideas and beliefs are formed. Wendy is a wife, an author, an entrepreneur, and a homeschool mum of three. She also hosts the Gaining My Perspective podcast. Her current book, What If You're Wrong, explores a massive change in her own thinking. It's my pleasure to welcome her to Bleeding Daylight today. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Before we explore your current thoughts, beliefs, and ideas, let's go back to that time before you started questioning your own beliefs. Who was Wendy Cunningham growing up and into your early adult life? Wow, what a question. (laughs) Growing up, I was your probably fairly cliche idea of a California girl, (laughs) just carefree and it's very, very easy to live a life void of Christ or any belief in God, especially in California. And that was me. And that wasn't an issue growing up. I didn't really know I was missing anything. But as I stepped into my teenage years and even more so at the end of my teenage years into my early 20s, I was a devastated, lost, broken, anxious, depressed, sad case, sad state of affairs. I like to look back and think that that had to do a lot with a just aimless existence. You know, I didn't have a foundation of any values or a you know, a value system that would support a life that would be filled with purpose. I just was really aimlessly searching for purpose and value and finding it, as you can imagine, in all the wrong places. That's kind of where I was when I met my now husband, who was that light that kind of shifted the the whole narrative for me. You would have classified yourself as an atheist. Was that a particular choice for you or As you say, was that just, hey, everyone was doing it, so that's what I call myself. I don't believe there's a God. I see no evidence, so therefore, that's what I'll tag myself as? Sure, that's a great question. I don't think I ever remember calling myself an atheist because when you don't believe in anything, it's not really a part of the conversation. You know, It's not a part of the conversation you're having with anyone else because I was surrounded with other non-believers, if you will, what did we have to talk about in that area? You know, we were all on the same page, so to speak. Primarily, I call myself a third generation atheist only because I don't know if it extended beyond that. But I know for sure my grandmother, my mother and myself, you know, we were all in the same belief structure. And of course, that meant that my 
close relatives were all in that same belief, belief structure. And if you're not going to church as a child or as a you know teenager, then you don't have any church peer group friends, you know? And so I really just didn't have anybody that would have made me identify myself as an atheist, but for all intents and purposes, that's absolutely what I was. I had no belief in God, didn't have hardly any exposure to the creation story. When you go through public school system, especially here in the United States, you're fed Big Bang evolution. You can go a great deal of your life just absolutely not exposed to anything other than that. As a teenager, I really didn't care so much. So I wasn't seeking out any alternative information. I just accepted, you know, my teachers are an authority figure. My, they agree with my mom, who's a huge authority figure, my grandmother, who was like the core of our family. So it all just kind of corroborated itself into a belief structure that I gave no critical thought to. So long answer is yes, I would say I was an atheist, but not, you know, I wasn't out there shouting from the rooftops about my non-beliefs. <laughs> and at this point, you're saying that you were finding yourself lacking meaning, lacking purpose, and looking for answers in the wrong places, but you probably weren't at that stage connecting that to any sort of undergirding belief structure at all, were you? You were just thinking, hey, this is life. Absolutely, yes. It wasn't until I started to be exposed to an alternative narrative of you know creation and Jesus and all these things that I even started to think, okay, not only have I sought these things in the wrong area, but now I'm broken and tainted. And so that, that can't apply to me. You know, that I remember that being some of my first feelings is that must be for people, this salvation or this forgiveness. Of course, if you don't understand it, I perceived that as, well, I'm too damaged now. I've gone too far down the road of doing all the wrong things that there's no hope for me. <laughs> and tell me about meeting this young fellow who was to become your husband. Tell me about that meeting and, and that falling in love. Sure. I now look back on that as, and this just is probably my favorite part of the way that God works in our lives is he did that. He positioned that. That was a divine intervention in my life, a rescue, if you will. I wasn't even seeking him or following him or even trying to at that point. And he was chasing after me. And I will never forget that that is the way that it went. And I mean, God, not he, my husband. <laughs> that is the way that it went. I love that I get to share that with my kids that God is chasing after us and he is chasing after our friends that aren't believers, our family members that aren't believers. That gives me such peace and comfort. But to answer your question more directly, I knew my husband in high school. We went to high school together and he was one of the small handful of people that I can look back on my life and recognize as a light, not just to me, but to everyone. And, you know, we didn't date in high school. He was actually my high school boyfriend's brother's friend, but I knew him and he was in, you know, my, my circle kind of once removed, if you will. And he was just kind and genuine and everyone liked him. He was voted in high school to be most likely to change the world. He just had that spirit 
about him, which now I recognize that was the Holy Spirit. You know, that was God. It's really too bad that there's so few people that stand out in my mind as that. And I, I did not know at the time it had anything at all to do with his Christianity because I didn't know that he was a Christian until we started dating many years later. But I do remember when I was reconnecting with him post-college, that's what I remembered about him from high school is he was, everyone loved him. He was just kind and genuine and authentic and positive, and I needed that. And so I was grateful to connect with him at first as a friend. I was moving home after a lot of years in Southern California, moving back up to Northern California And I had a lot of negative feelings about being home and my house wasn't the greatest place to be at that moment. He was something that I needed in terms of just a light, a a friend that was going to be uplifting. So I was grateful for that, but it immediately became like, I remember thinking after the very first night we just met up and, you know, had a drink at a bar and talked. And I remember going home that night and thinking, if he would marry me, (laughs) I need to get him to marry me somehow. And I knew there's no way. That's also how I felt. Similar to my first introduction to Jesus was, I'm too broken. There is no way someone like this will choose me. There's no way I would be so lucky as to be with this guy. But I hoped for that. And there there seemed to be a connection. And lo and behold, about a week later, and again, this just speaks to his character. We were dating officially. There was no, he said he would call and then he didn't. Like we didn't go through any of those games, which were so commonplace for all of my past relationships. All of my relationships ended in infidelity or unfortunately didn't end in infidelity, just included infidelity on the other side of the relationship. And so it was so confusing for me to enter into this relationship with this, my now husband, because he did what he said. He called when he said he was going to call. He was honest about his feelings. He was vulnerable. He was, you know, listened and cared. And I basically went crazy. I, you know, I was absolutely a crazy girlfriend. (laughs) I hate to say it, but I have no idea why he ultimately did marry me because I was, just questioning everything he did. Why are you being like this? Why, you know, where are you? When he would leave and I'd go crazy and call his phone, where are you? He would tell me, I don't believe you. Then he'd like show up. Okay, I'll come home. What do you need? You know, he just was very willing to come alongside me. And he he was the one that told me, this is not who you are. This is just what you've been through. And oh my gosh, what a thing to hear. I had thought, no, it's it, this is, I am broken. I am not choosable. People won't choose me. My dad hadn't chose me. My stepfather hadn't chose me. I, no, no men had ever you know, chosen me. That is wild to think this isn't something that's truly just broken inside me that you are telling me I have value just on its face. This is crazy. So It was very easy for me (laughs) to fall in love with this person. I still, to this day, have no idea how I tricked him to marry me. But here we are, 14 years later almost, three kids, happy as can be. So I'm very, very grateful. But he was truly that picture of Jesus for me in my life. Now, when we hear 
how much you had fallen for this guy and how wonderful he was, we could be mistaken in thinking that, well, you've just gone along with his beliefs, you've just gotten rid of all your beliefs and you've just decided I'll follow his. But there was something deeper in there, wasn't there? When when he started talking about his faith, it wasn't just an immediate, oh, well, I'll take that on too. What was the process for you? That's a great question also. And thank you for clarifying that because no, no, that is not how it went at all. I had adopted my beliefs a little bit just because they were handed to me. You know, I, I will admit that. But when it came time for me to listen to his side and learn about what he was believing, I held on to my beliefs and convictions as if I like it was life or death. I mean, that was really the biggest thing we argued over at the beginning of our relationship. And ultimately, and I, I recognized that this was his sin. He married me and I was no more a Christian that day than the first day we, we met. So I, we walked into this and I had not given an inch on, on this. And I think it just all seemed so ridiculous to me you know, it was make-believe, it was fairyland. It's really hard to go from, you know, where I perceived myself to be, which was a very scientific approach. I mean, does this sound so familiar, right? I believe in science and I believe in what you can put your hand on. And I don't think that there's a make-believe God in the sky and blah, blah, blah. And this is an interesting thing in terms of evangelism. He could not start with Jesus for me. He was like Jesus in our relationship. That's not to say he was perfect and sinless. Don't hear me wrong. But he really was this first picture of Jesus for me in so many ways. But anytime he wanted to talk to me about Jesus or the Bible, I was so dismissive of it because I did not believe in God, let alone this miraculously conceived son of God, let alone this Bible, which is the only document that says God is real, blah, 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 or so I perceived. So all of that I threw away very, very easily, wouldn't even talk about it. So he had to kind of come at it in a different way. And I will say he always maintained this posture of, I'm not convincing you of anything. I just want to talk about it. I just want to ask questions. And if I'm also being honest, I started most of our conversations, let's call them a conversation, not an argument, but oftentimes they were an argument. I was the one starting it because it annoyed me so tremendously that he was so confident in something that I thought was garbage. <laughs> and I recognized that I am not half as confident in what I believe as he is. And that makes me so insecure that I really wanted to attack that part of him, if that makes sense. So we went round and round and round. And it was the exact opposite of I'm so in love with him that I'm going to just accept everything he says as real. Very much the opposite. What ultimately he did that that opened up the door for me to consider was he asked me, explain to me why you believe what you believe. You know, he gave me the opportunity to do that. And I very quickly realized all of my answers are very silly and all of my answers are very surface. I have given this so little thought because I didn't care. It wasn't a part of my life, right? Where am I going to go after death? Where did I come from? None of these things were things I pondered at all. So I had very, very surface 
answers to the questions, which only further made me insecure, but also, you know, flipped on that light bulb of, well, why don't I believe in God? Goodness gracious. And he asked me, could you have been created? Not could you have been created by God? Because I would have seen that as like a trap, but could you have been created at all? Did you have to be an accident? Like, could you have just been created? Let's start there. And that sent me down the question chain of, well, why do I think I wasn't? Where did that come from? And then I thought, okay, from my parents and my grandma and school, you know, okay, that's why I think I couldn't have, but that doesn't mean that that belief is correct. Could I have? And so then I kind of started to dissect my own belief structure just on my own time, you know, Googling things on re-understanding because you learn about the big bang in school when you're like in eighth grade. And so now that I'm an adult, I'm looking back going, gosh, does this make sense to me now? Is this, you know, could I really follow this line of logic now that I'm critically thinking about it? Where are the flaws? So he allowed me space to kind of pull apart my own belief structure. And ultimately, and this is kind of where I've come with so many conversations since writing this book, is most people realize really quickly that they don't have great answers to super important questions. And I was willing to say, okay, I don't know the answers way before I was willing to say that your answers are true. As you're starting to unpack your own beliefs and starting to look at, well, what are the things that I truly do believe and do they stand up? What were some of the stumbling blocks that you came across when you started to look into Christian belief? What were some of the things that you thought, oh, look, I, I can accept this, but but that's a step too far? One of the big ones at the beginning for me was I just rejected this idea of eternity. And by that, I mean eternity like a God that is eternal, a God that wasn't created, a God that just always was. Even now, I mean, that's a hard thing. It's like the Trinity. There are concepts that are just really challenging to really wrap your mind around. I, My oldest daughter is 10, and we talk about this all the time, and I commiserate with her. I'm like, this is, it is hard. It's hard to understand that because we don't have a thing we can put our eyes on in this world that works that way. So I really struggled with something that wasn't created by something else. But what's funny is as I was evaluating the concept of a big bang theory, which was what I would have said I believed in at the time, I thought, well, okay, we kind of are running into the same problem because the best explanation for atheism is nothing created everything, <laughs> which is absurd. And I knew that's absurd. That's not science. That's not scientifically provable or replicatable or any any way you can say that's not science. That's not even logical. So something had to explode to create the Big Bang that created everything else. What was it? Because it had to be either created or it had to be eternal, be it a gas or rocks or whatever it was that exploded in the beginning. And I, I came to the point of eternity on both fronts. And it it was actually easier for me to say an intelligent being existed 
eternally and created everything than it was for me to go a rock existed eternally and created everything. So actually to kind of not answer your question the, the, that way, that was my biggest stumbling block, which ultimately ended up being the thing that moved me a step closer towards Christianity. And then the next kind of big step was coming up to a evolution. And I had a big issue with the idea that all humans on the face of the planet come from Adam, one human, one man. How is that? You know, how does that work? But if you buy into evolution, and again, as I was an adult kind of reevaluating the concept of evolution, that says that every single living organism comes from a single cell. That even That's even more absurd to me than all humans, not elephants and grass and flowers, but just humans come from one man, according to scripture. But all, everything, every living thing has to have come from a single cell if I go the evolution way. So I was finding that no matter how I looked, the farther I went, the deeper I went, both things either believing in a creator God or believing in, you know, a secular worldview, if you will, both of those become ridiculous <laughs> in about the same ways. But the creator God seemed to be just more reasonable like that, you know, logically, I'm looking at it going, okay, that's slightly, just slightly more reasonable for me to follow that line of thinking, because I can't avoid the ridiculousness or the absurdity, no matter which way I go. It was kind of just breaking down those deep dive pieces that actually revealed a creator, revealed the more likely scenario. And you've heard that, you know, people say, Christians say, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And ultimately, that's true. That's where I was coming is this this bottoming out of if I stick to not believing in God, I have to believe something slightly more ridiculous than God which is kind of funny. <laughs> You're starting to see all these big rocks falling away as you start to look at some of these bigger ideas of, of faith or of how the world came about, how we came about. But what was it that finally clinched it for you rather than thinking, well, this is more probable than that, to saying, I believe this to be the truth? What was the turning point for you? This was years in the making. And I think that's important too to say because Oftentimes, and I've walked this out since becoming a believer, obviously, I, my entire family, as I've said, was not believing. And so, you know, I became very impatient. How come you just can't see what I see? And then I had to remind myself, it took me a long time. And not because it necessarily has to take a long time for everybody. But for me, I had to tear away so much that I thought I knew for sure. I had to rethink so much. And we're talking about at this point, the core person in my life had been my grandmother and she passed away when I was 18 and I got married at 23. So we're talking just a handful of years later. I'm now confronting what does this new belief mean for my deceased atheist grandmother? These are hard things to have to consider and wrap your mind around. So I wrestled and wrestled and I probably believed before I really admitted that I believed just because there were things that were just so hard to reconcile. And it, it didn't mean I didn't believe. It just meant I cannot fully go there. I cannot fully say this out loud 
It just felt like I'm crossing over and leaving so many people and so many things I've believed for so long behind. It just felt like such an enormous step. But with that said, I became pregnant with our first child and there is just this amazing parallel that God has given us in being creators ourselves. I am feeling sometimes not feeling (laughs) in the early parts, you don't feel the life growing inside you at all. You're just hoping and might I say praying (laughs) that things are going to go okay. And I, I remember praying what I knew to be a prayer. I don't, you know, I'd never prayed before. My husband encouraged me to pray. Who am I even talking to? This was such a strange concept, but I had the desire because finally there was something that mattered more than just my own life, my own soul. And so I remember praying, uh, being pregnant for some of the first true prayers that I prayed in my life over, I hope to God, whoever you are, that you're in control. And I hope that you're good, my goodness, because please make this all go correctly. And it just was this daily reminder that I have no sovereignty over this. I am out of control of this situation, the thing that I want to be the most protective over, the thing I want the most control over. And I recognized that's how God must feel. (laughs) He wants us so desperately to be safe, to be healthy, to be well, to be happy. And we can reject him entirely. We can just never acknowledge him. And that broke my heart thinking about that parallel as a pregnant mom that this baby could grow up and leave me and reject me and never want to be in relationship with me. And there's not a dang thing I can do about it, but I know I will always love this child unconditionally, right? And I believe that parallel exists on purpose, just so we can get a teeny tiny glimpse of what God feels for us. And at the end of that pregnancy, I was folding laundry In my bedroom, I was about eight and a half months pregnant, and I just remember this sensation of God walking in the room, if you will. Just his presence overtook me all of a sudden out of the clear blue sky. I mean, I must have been thinking about it. I must have been praying maybe, or I I don't remember what I was thinking about before. I only remember that all of a sudden, tears are streaming down my face. I am assured that he is real and that he loves me and he is good. And I remember getting on my knees right then and saying, okay, I'm in like, whatever, whatever you need from me. What, I don't know how this works, but like, I'm in looking back that really just made me a theist, but I was willing now to go down the road of understanding who Jesus is. What is the Bible? What is, how does that fit in? Is it real? Is it trustable? You know, how historically accurate is it? All of those things would come next. But that moment was the pivot moment. And that means a lot to me personally. And I have shared that story with people, but I understand that those moments, and maybe you've had something similar and people listening, they're really for our conviction. When I tell my mom that, who's not a believer, it means nothing to her. She thinks I was like having just a little like moment in my room with myself. She doesn't really believe that was real. So I understand that that doesn't carry the weight for her as it does for me. But that was absolutely the moment. I remember it so crystal clear. And what was your husband's response when you told him about that moment in that room? 
Oh, he was really, I think he was pretty surprised. He was at work at the time. So he was a firefighter. He came home a day or so later and I kind of told him, so I think I'm a Christian. And he was just like, what, what do you mean? And I told him about it kind of, you know, I was a little bit embarrassed. I just felt like I have been fighting this for so long. I know he was praying that I would have this revelation and I didn't want to, you know, there's pride in there. I didn't want to be wrong (laughs) all this time. I've been wrong. He was very sweet, but he really quickly kind of stopped me and was like, hold on, this is just a piece. I'm so glad, you know, he was very celebratory, but he said, you can't just like throw Jesus in. Like you've got to now go and understand the Jesus side. And because that's really where your salvation is. It's not just, I believe in God. And man, at the time I was like, you've got to be kidding me because I had let go of so much and been on this journey. It felt like for so long. And I felt like this is huge. You know, this is such a big deal. And he was kind of like, yay, except for like, I think you're just getting started here. You know, I think this is really just the beginning. Oh my gosh. It was really a funny conversation. I was very annoyed, but he's right. Because I look now at people in my life who they believe in God. For example, I have, I have a friend who says, I believe in God. I know that God is my creator. I just don't know if it's the God of the Bible. And so I'm like, okay, that's good. That's a great place to be. But in my head, according to the the Bible and Jesus, she's not walking in salvation yet. She's on the journey. I know my husband's not there to convince me. He's not there to give me every answer. He's just there to put me on the journey. And that's what he continued to direct me. And we still continue to direct each other towards that even now, because this is an individual journey we're on here. And so he is constantly then and now redirecting me back to the journey. This is a journey. There's farther to go. There's more to know. There's a deeper understanding to have. We can always be diving deeper into God's character. That's kind of how that conversation went, funny enough. And I'm grateful for it because it really did push me into a whole nother level of Again, stripping away and having to dig deep and can I buy into this and how real is it and all of that, but all for the glory of standing as an adult now, I'm 38, going, I know all my answers now. I used to know none of my answers. And now, and the Bible says we're to give it an account, right? We're to give a defense for why we believe what we believe. And I can do that now because he was always pushing me to understand more. Well, why do you believe in this piece? And why do you believe in that piece? So that that's how that conversation went. <laughs> You're talking about the fact that your husband was responsible for putting you on that journey, not for convincing you. Because I reckon that there's a lot of Christians who think that witnessing and sharing their faith is all about convincing another person of the facts of beliefs rather than putting them on that journey. How freeing do you think it would be for most Christians to understand that our task is to start someone on the journey and to be there and guide them along that way? Oh my gosh. For all of you control freaks like me, I give you permission to let God be God and let him do his part because I am glad, like I said, that I was introduced and led through the journey the way that I was. And my husband will tell you, he was not someone that was super engaged in his faith. Like I said, I didn't know he was a Christian in high school. He didn't go to church. He wasn't somebody that was like, oh, he's in the Bible club at school, you know. 
he just was a good guy and knew what was very anchored in his Christianity. He will say the only reason I truly came to be a believer was not by his strength or his power, my husband, but by Holy Spirit. God did such a work in me and he's doing it in all of us. My husband just was doing the prompting. And and I think that's why he didn't start a lot of those conversations because he was afraid he wouldn't have all the answers or he wouldn't be able to adequately give me the truth or the answers that I was seeking. But that's what Jesus does in the gospel, guys. Like he asks questions. He asks questions that he knows the answer to for our sake, right? So that we can do the deep dive. We can evaluate and search and recognize even just, gosh, the other day, like I felt Holy Spirit ask me the same question from the Bible. Do you want to be well? I'm walking through some health issues. God's still doing that for us. And that is his job is to take us the rest of the way to reveal himself. And the Bible says that if we seek him, he will be found by us. I believe that that's true. My husband just needed to put me on the seeking path And God was going to always be there to reveal himself. He wants to reveal himself. He's not trying. This isn't just like a giant game of hide and seek. He's not trying to be hidden. He wants to be seen. He wants to be in relationship with all of us. Our job is just to continue to redirect, to redirect, to redirect. But yes, I would love it if it was within my power (laughs) to make all of the people I love be believers. I wish that was an authority I carried, but I can only just point them towards the direction that the things that I learned and the, the resources that were helpful for me, I can invite them into Bible studies. That's what I did with my sister. I just said, why don't you do a Bible study with me? Just learn about it. And then you can, you'll have a thousand questions after that. And then you can ask me or we can find them together. I will just invite people into my own journey because I'm still on it. But yes, I fully give you all permission to let God be God and you do you and he'll do him. He's way better at it than we are. I promise. It's interesting. You touch on that story from the scripture where Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And it sounds like a a silly question because there's a sick man. Of course he wants to be healed. And yet sometimes people can take on the identity of being the sick person and do they really want to be healed? And that's the question. I'm wondering how much we also need to ask that question and ask it honestly, do we really want to know the truth? Because on the face of it, if we're asked, do you really want to know the truth? The answer is, of course, yes. But I think there's something deeper. In the same way Jesus asked that question, we need to ask that question, do we really want to know the truth? I guess that was the case for you too. That is a great point because I did recognize at the beginning of this journey with my husband, of course, I wanted to be right. (laughs) Of course, I wanted to be right. But I started down this journey because I cared more about what was true, I just happened to think that I was right about what was true. And that was actually what motivated me to go further was I wanted to be able to prove to him that he was wrong, or at least present a reasonable explanation why I could be right. How funny is that? God even used my own ego against me in that sense. You know, he he turned that to go, okay, I don't care if that's what motivates you to come search for me. Perfect. I'm here. So you're going to find me if you're truly searching. But yes, I was willing 
And I think maybe with someone else, I wouldn't necessarily have been willing to be wrong. And this is where we get defensive when people are pushing and in convincing mode. Then I I got dug in and, and heels in because there had been people in my life before that that would be very pompous about oftentimes you're going to hell for something, which I was for sure going to hell for a plenty of things. You didn't need to tell me. I already knew if there's a hell, I'm for sure headed there. Like that's, I knew. So I didn't need anybody to tell me that. And that didn't offer me any hope. It made me wildly defensive. And if anybody would have approached in that spirit, there's no way I would have wanted to be wrong or had the opportunity or, you know, to be vulnerable in front of someone like that, that's bringing that kind of a gospel message to me. And unfortunately, so many Christians are doing that and it hurts to see that. And ultimately, as I was coming to faith, I found that one of my biggest stumbling blocks at the very last minute was, can I be a Christian? Like I have such a bad view of Christians in my life. I just see them as wild hypocrites. Can I call myself a Christian? Like, is that even a thing I want to be? How sad is that? Right? Like how terrible that God's own followers were one of the last stumbling blocks I had to get over to get into the club, so to speak. My husband allowed me space and vulnerability to be wrong because he he knew and he has said this to me actually this is the reason he says he married me <laughs> he knew I was seeking the truth and if there is an absolute truth which there is God is either real or he's not real and if you're seeking to know what is true we will all arrive at the same spot because there's one spot to land and he knew I was truly seeking that And so he just believed, I don't know how long it's going to take her. I don't know what this is going to look like, how challenging. I mean, he was willing to, we talked about raising kids and how complicated that's going to be with our very, very different beliefs, but he just knew she's, she's seeking truth and he gave me space to be wrong. When was it that you decided that you would write a book on this experience of searching and finding God? I have been writing a blog for years off and on, and I love to write. I thought I would write a blog specifically about trying to evangelize in the non-believing community. And I live in the South in the United States, and this is the Bible Belt. So I... I very infrequently do I come across anyone who doesn't have an, a foundation or anchoring in the Bible in church. Everybody goes to church. It is part of the culture. It's very, very different than the West where I was raised. So there's a different way that people evangelize here because everybody assumes you have a certain understanding of the gospel, which is a true assumption for the most part. Out West or in various places of the world, gosh, all over the place, When you don't even have any foundation at all, there is no starting at Jesus. Like you can't start with the gospels. This is my opinion. And everyone was coming at, I won't say everyone was coming at me with that approach because very few people even tried to tell me about the gospels. But when they did, it was with Bible verses and Jesus, which like I said, was very, very easy for me to brush off. So I had it in my head. I was going to write a blog about evangelizing, starting with helping someone else explain and articulate what their beliefs are if they're not anchored in creation, help them articulate those beliefs and just 
push back, just challenge them without inserting your own beliefs, just help them articulate. And then start to present creation as opposed to Jesus. Like you really have to start at the beginning. So I thought this will be a blog and I'm driving down the highway and I was actually heading to pick up my kids at vacation Bible school, which is like a summer, a, a week long summer at, at church. And I just heard from God in the car as I'm driving that this is a book. This isn't a blog. This is a book. And I've never written a book. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mom. I homeschool. It's not like I'm just like have all the time in the world to write a book. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, goodness. And I resisted that for about six months. I wrote the book twice <laughs> before I put it out. It has been a journey for sure. But I do feel that the word of our testimony, right, is one of our best weapons to wield against the enemy and to fight for furthering the kingdom. And I just felt like the entire way through, which was probably about two and a half year long journey of starting it and then completing it. I just felt the constant daily nudge of Holy Spirit. This is your calling right now. This is your focus. Put everything else down within reason, you know, still be a parent stuff, but do this, do this. So it was a complete labor of love. And now I, now I'm writing a devotional. It has totally opened up kind of Pandora's box, so to speak, but it was very, very clearly a guidance and a nudge from Holy Spirit. And what's been the response to the book so far from those that have had the opportunity to read it? Really well received. The book is very funny, which I think gives people the opportunity to lower their guard, hopefully. And it's just honest. And I'm willing to be really vulnerable in it about who I was and what I was walking in and all the sin. I wasn't. It wasn't easy for me to just step on into forgiveness in heaven. And I walk through a lot of the stumbling blocks, which over the 10 or so years, 10, 11 years that I've been a believer now, the conversations I have with non-believers, there are like five main stumbling blocks for people. The idea of Big Bang versus creation, evolution. These are common denominator questions. Also, why do bad things happen to good people? This is a, a huge one. And I evaluate that at length in the book as well. Things that I had to reconcile in my own mind about that question. I just thought, gosh, I've walked this out. I can just use my own journey, my own testimony to help be a guide. And again, the goal is to put people on the journey, right? I'm not here to like, by the end of the book, I hope and pray that you're a Christian. Of course I do. But it's more meant for, yes, somebody who's already on the searching phase of their journey and they're looking for answers. And then also it's meant for Christians to read, which I think has been more of the receiving audience, is for a Christian to read as a tool to understand better how to talk to somebody that feels so far away from salvation or so far away from understanding Jesus and God and all of the all of that goes along with it. And so I think that's where the reception has been the best and the tool that it is is to bridge that gap or to be a, a, a book that a Christian would buy and then gift to someone in their life that is on the journey or maybe a believer that's wavering or what have you, you know, just to help bring them into you're not alone. Lots of people walk this out. These are hard questions to grapple with. But again, going back to the whole question of the book, what if you're wrong? That's the title. That's like the question that my husband asked me about 
the base of my foundation. You know, what if you're wrong about that? That's a big old risk. And it was. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who are interested in reading more about your story in reading the book. Where's the easiest place for people to find you? You can go to gainingmyperspective.com. And that's where you can find the book. You can find my blog, my podcast, all the things. I've left social media for the moment. And so that's basically the best place to find me. But you can also just find the book on Amazon if you'd like to. And I'll put links to your website in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find it easily. Wendy, it's been great talking to you. A wonderful conversation. I'm sure a lot of people will really appreciate it. So thank you so much for your time on Bleeding Daylight today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.